nobody threw anything at me except in the appropriate times when they were supposed to throw things at me. So it was good. I had been gone all summer and just missed another week, but I'm done being gone. So I'll, I'll be around now. Take it or leave it. Um, this morning, I'm starting uh, 12 weeks uh, together looking at the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and we, we say that here quite often, and you may be very familiar with the Apostles' Creed um, by now. Maybe it's still relatively new to you. Um, but the Apostles' Creed is uh, this statement of Christian belief, this kind of boundary marker of what Christians believe. All Christians everywhere believe uh, the Apostles' Creed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to just come to church and do things because they, somebody tells you to or it's on the screen or everybody else is doing it. Uh, but the Apostles' Creed is a helpful summarization of what we believe, and it's not... Uh, creating it's not cre- been created as something new, but it is it is an accurate and helpful reflection of the teaching of Scripture. So that's why we're we're going to look at it. So can can you put up the Apostles' Creed now? We're going to say it later. You're going to have your chance, but we're just going to look at it real quick so you just know what it is. And this morning. Um, we're going to just deal with the words we believe or, or I believe. But this is what it looks like. Can you flip to the other screen? And one more. I know you read that super fast. Okay, so those three slides is the Apostles' Creed. Uh, you can find different translations, slight variations in wording and things, but we're going to go through that together for the next 12 weeks. This morning we're talking about we believe... So we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, just a few verses, and then we'll read a story from the Gospel of Mark. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And this actually starts a a whole chapter, a running commentary of examples of what faith looks like from the stories of Scripture. And we are not going to read that whole thing. You should, but we're not going to. We're going to skip to the end, to, to verse 39 and leading into the beginning of chapter 12. And all these, the ones, the list that he just made, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And now we'll turn to Mark 9, starting at verse 17. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So ask your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, And he arose. When he'd entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word has formed a people And that we are in the company of those people. We stand together, united, arm in arm, linked by trust in you. And Father, I pray this morning that you would move in our own hearts and make us tender towards you, make our hearts soft before you, and help us to trust you. Open up our ears, open up our eyes, correct our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Amen. The, uh, the Apostles' Creed is, is an old, old, old statement of the church. It uh, pops up in Christian literature from the second century, early second century. That's the 100s AD. And it's passed around the, the church, the corners of the church, before it even has the name the Apostles' Creed. The first time it's referred to as the Apostles' Creed is at the end of the 4th century, and it's kind of already a well-known thing. And what it's primarily used for is in baptism. And oftentimes how the church would use it is they would use the three sections of the creed, because there are three sections about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, And they would ask the the person who was about to be baptized, do you believe? And they would say, I believe. And they would dunk them after every one of those articles. So it becomes this means of confession for baptism. And this wouldn't be the first time they've heard these statements leading up to their baptism. The Apostles' Creed actually would serve as the curriculum for instruction leading up to their baptism. So they are prepared to answer, I believe, I believe, I believe. So the church is united under this sort of what they call this symbol of belief from the very beginnings of the person's Christian life. And the creed is, is not a magic formula. 
We're not saying if, if you come in here and you're not a Christian, you're not, not sure what to do with God, and you just say these magic words, then everything is just, you've, something has happened to you and it's worked like a magic spell. That's not what we're saying. We are confessing something about what we believe. In our age, our corporate, collective, secular age, the spirit of this act of confessing a creed together is counterintuitive to the way the world works. Because our world focuses on us as individuals and tells us that reality, in a sense, is determined by your own experience and conviction about the world. And what we are doing is saying, this is our corporate faith. This is our collective... Whoa, sorry. I thought I was going to lose my water, but it was just a water bottle. My throat has been bothering my voice has been bothering me, so I have to keep this hot water up here. So when we collect, collectively say, this is our faith, not individually, but collectively, we are actually standing in opposition to the spirit of this world that says it is all about you and what you think and what you feel. And these words themselves are really tricky. We believe, or I believe, because belief itself is difficult. And at times, the words of Scripture themselves can, can put us and the people who want to confess in the position of being unsure if we really should. Let me read again uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Because this is, this is a common way, and some and translations will vary slightly, but they often sound like this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That, those words of assurance and conviction, when we're talking about what I believe, can be incredibly troubling for people who are in a general state of flux as to what they actually do have assurance and conviction about. And so when you read Hebrews 11.1 1 by itself, it sounds so rock solid and so definitive. It sounds like certainty. And so when we, if you're like me, read Hebrews 11.1 1 and 2 and 3, and we think, I don't know if I rise to the standard of that belief... It can feel like, I don't know if I should be saying this. I don't know if I should be saying the creed. I don't know if there's space for me as a person who is, you know, maybe like 52, 48 on the side of faith at times. And it can feel very isolating and unsure. Am I actually, am I one of the group? And so to come here and then put up a creed on the screen and just say, it doesn't say, you know, we kind of believe. We, we mostly believe. It just declares we believe. And if we're all honest, I think, we would probably, in, in a moment of clarity and honesty, confess, we are kind of halfway mixed bag believers at times. And in fact, the the list of believers in Hebrews chapter 11 gives no discussion of the uncertainty of these people. It's just this, these kind of accomplishments 
of these faithful people. They just believe God calls Abraham to leave, and he leaves, he acts, he just does it. Abraham does it, David does it, Moses, faithful. And it just sounds like all of these, okay, if these are the people of faith, then who and what am I? But Hebrews chapter 11 is trying to make a specific kind of point that is an encouragement to us. The rest of Scripture fills in the gaps of Hebrews 11's account of Israel's history. Because I I teach Old Testament survey at Montreat, and we just finished the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis has people in it that wind up in Hebrews 11. And the book of Genesis' account of Abraham's life is very different than these few verses in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham sounds like an all-star. In the book of Genesis, Abraham's first act in the narrative in Genesis chapter 12 is to doubt God. And to lie and say that his wife is his sister because he's afraid that his wife will be killed. And most of the litany of the people's actions, including Abraham, is a demonstration not of their rock-solid certainty, but of the prevalence of their doubt. The other trouble is we live in a world that has begun to re-understand what belief and faith are. And so our world thinks in the mode of science all the time and has accepted the scientific mindset as the way that everything should be known. And let me explain what I mean so I'm not being too abstract here. How do we know that gravity exists? It's a hymnal, just for the record. Didn't drop the Bible. <laughs> I checked. How, how do we test gravity? We drop it and we see if things fall. And we have certainty. We believe things because we observe them happening. And we know concretely that that thing is real. And our world thinks this is how knowing things works. This is how it is supposed to work. So when our world that's been teaching us for years and years that this is how you are supposed to know things, hears that faith is confidence or assurance or the substance of things that you cannot see, the world says that is nonsense magic talk. That is not knowing anything. That is purposefully turning off your brain because that is not how knowing works. Knowing happens when you can put something under a microscope and test it and verify it. And that is not right. That is not all the kind of knowing or believing that exists in the world. And a person cannot exist under those conditions. I was reading uh, a little book about the Apostles' Creed called The Apostles' Creed um, by, by Ben Myers. And, and his point was it is impossible to exist in the world without trusting. He says, 
When you hear the story of your conception, you cannot go back and scientifically verify it by observation. You can go back now and check DNA, but how many people under normal and healthy circumstances go back to check the DNA of their mother and father to verify whether or not the person is their mother and their father? I mean, maybe you do that, okay? But that is exhausting, and that is one piece of information. Let me put it this way. This is another way that Ben Myers talks. How do you know that Peru exists? Have you been there? Maybe some of you have. I'm not talking to you. Everybody else, do you believe that Peru exists? Probably. You look at maps and you say, that looks real. I trust that for whatever reason. I've, I've talked to people who have been to Peru. I trust them for whatever reason. And if you begin to say, I will not trust anything that I do not verify and fully experience myself, the, the list of things that you can and do know becomes vanishingly small, and you will go crazy. Because ultimately, the only thing that you'll be able to know for sure is you. But this is the way that our world works. If you cannot see it, if you cannot observe it, it is not real. And we are not talking about that kind of belief of absolute certainty that comes from the realm of science. We are talking about a different kind and category of knowing and believing. And that kind of knowing and believing is tied up in trust. Christian faith is not about blind irrationality. Christian faith is about a different kind of knowing that is ultimately tied up in a personal trust. And trust is not always about what you have certainty about. Trust is often a confession of reliance in the face of what you do not know. And the the story from the Gospels is is a great illustration of the kind of belief that we are talking about. Because in the gospel, that gospel story that we're reading, Jesus is there to to heal and to do good works. And this father comes to, to bring his demonically oppressed son and wants deliverance for him. And the man is just desperate to see his son set free. And Jesus hears in his desperation the man's doubt. The the man confesses to him, you know, I I think you're able, or, or, you know, if anyone can do it, it's probably you. And Jesus picks up on it and says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible for those who believe. And the man responds to that question in outright honesty. I believe, help my unbelief. 
And that man's confession is probably the clearest picture of my own heart. I believe and I am full of unbelief. I believe, help me in my unbelief. And because we live in a world that models its knowing on certainty, we kind of expect at that moment for Jesus to say, fail, not belief, get out. Come back to me when you can say, I believe. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, bring me the boy. I'm going to heal him. It is not the kind and quality of the man's faith. He doesn't, Jesus isn't like putting some, you know, measuring whatever you would call this thing, you know, with an arrow, gauge. It's a gauge. He's not putting up a gauge. He's not putting up an alarm like ding, ding, ding. We've hit the perfect balance of faith here. You've tilted over to the green area. He just says, bring him to me, believing unbeliever or unbelieving believer, whichever that man tilts that day. Bring me your son. And Jesus heals him. Ultimately, that man's action on behalf of his son is a picture of what Christian belief looks like. It is often just a desperate throwing yourself in front of the way of Jesus and saying, I I can't even be sure of of everything. I'm not even sure of, of what exactly is going to happen here, but I know that the place that I need to be is here in front of Jesus. I believe Help my unbelief. If I'm going to be anywhere, it's going to be here. That itself is a confession of trust in Jesus. And that confession of trust is the example of biblical trust. All those things that Hebrews 11 will list for us are these moments when these people who are very much mixed bags throw themselves forward in following and trusting in Jesus. And ultimately, that's where the the author of Hebrews winds up, isn't it? Look back at the end of chapter 11 11 in the book of Hebrews. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. This is actually a crucial point. These people did not receive what they trusted in. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God was withholding something for our benefit. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these witnesses are the witnesses we are confessing with. The great cloud of witnesses are these kinds of people, both that Hebrews 11 is is talking about and whom we stand with through thousands of years of the church's existence. We're surrounded by these kinds of mixed bag people who in desperation trust in Jesus, confessing the thing that we are also confessing in this creed. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For a people who are conflicted and afflicted by doubt, who are battered and buffeted on every side by living in a world that has had the life of of the nearness of God sucked out of it by a scientific see-it-first mindset. The temptation is to look down into ourselves all the time and weigh up. What do I really feel like I believe? And the antidote for that kind of self-spiral, that descending navel-gazing, Focus on itself is not a word from the scriptures. Just muster up belief. Be better. Feel certain. Instead, the author of Hebrews corrects our gaze and says quite simply, look at Jesus. Trust Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. It's not you. It's not you that is in charge of your faith. It is not you that is the one upon whom all the outcome of your faith hinges. It's Jesus. Look at Jesus. And that is such an enormous relief. Because that frees us and invites us. That that says, I I barely am holding on to this thing. And the author of Hebrews is saying, it's fine. It's not about you anyway. It's about Jesus. When we, um, today you probably noticed the, the baptismal at the door. Did you see that? Did you nearly trip on it? And then you saw it? And a lot, of, a lot of churches, old, old churches, they put the baptismal at the door of the church because the way that you come in to be a part of the church is through baptism. And this is a reminder to us and to all the people of God who enter into this community that we are a people who are formed by this confession. And the confession is not about your own fittedness, your own certainty, your own aptness to be here. We enter into this community because of the nature and work of God himself. And if you are seated here and you trust in Jesus today, and you feel like you've had a terrible week since last year, you've had a terrible month, you've had a terrible year, you've had a terrible half decade, terrible decade, you just say, I don't really know where I stand with Jesus. It was never about you, ever. And it was always only about Jesus. So there is room in here for doubters and failures in mixed bags. The preacher here is one of them. I I am plagued and afflicted by doubt as much as anybody else. And it's not me and my own proofs and certainty that I trust. It is Jesus. And if you are here today, 
and you have actually never trusted Jesus because you thought the standard for being a part of this thing, this family, this cloud of witnesses was this this kind of rock-solid certainty that you have never felt about pretty much anything and definitely don't have about God. Today, this morning, is it a, a piece of clarifying information for you that you do not have to be good enough or fit enough or solid enough for the kingdom. The only thing that determines your place in the kingdom is do you, will you throw yourself at Jesus and just say, I believe, help my unbelief. Augustine, great thinker of the church, said if you want to understand... Trust first, and understanding will come as you experience a trusting relationship. And if you are in the place where you're saying, I don't understand, I don't think that I can believe, the question is not, are you smart enough, do you have enough information, have enough proofs been given to you? The question is, have you confronted Jesus, and do you trust him? with all of your fragility and uncertainty, will you trust him? Let Jesus present himself to you as the great anchor of your hope and faith, the author, the perfecter, the founder, and the one who will surely complete what he himself has begun. Jesus is good enough for your trust. Will you trust him this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that this whole thing is about you. It isn't, it isn't about us. Not that we don't matter, but things do not swirl around us. We are not the thing around which the rest of the universe orbits. And even in this thing, our faith, you are meant to be in the center because you have enough gravity to hold us in place. And, and we confess to you that, that we are doubters, some of us more than others. We identify with the people, with the Father in, gospel, in the Gospel of Mark, who says, if anybody can do this, I think you can. I believe. Help my unbelief. Father, I pray that you would present yourself to each one of us this morning and that we would be able to participate in the reality of you. I thank you that you did not leave us in the dark to grasp and to figure it out ourselves, but you instead came after us, beckoning us, drawing us to yourself. That our baptism is not a response to our fittedness, but to yours. Father, I pray for those who are plagued and afflicted this morning, who have been told by themselves, by others, by the voices that whisper to them at night, 
There can be no place for them because they're just too far gone down the road of darkness and doubt and uncertainty. I'll pray, I pray that you would whisper to them instead the truth, that you will rescue them and that you are trustworthy to do so. Help us be kind and gentle with one another and encouragement and support as we wrestle through these things together. Father, make us a faithful people, full of trusting in you, day by day. Draw us to completion in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, to the glory of your name. Amen.